Sometimes I really like being a pastor. That's not true. I always really like being a pastor. Almost all the time, I love being up here um, and preaching to you and, and, and showing you what God has in his word and opening it up for you and, and all of that good stuff. And can I just be really honest with you? Sometimes it's not so fun because what God says in his word, while holy and right and true and needing to be taught and lived out, sometimes it's stuff I wish wasn't there. Right? I mean, I just wish that this wasn't a thing that we had to deal with, but uh, we absolutely do. And so um, I come to you with confidence this morning, um, absolute confidence in the Word of God and in the rightness of it. Um, but I come to you with trepidation in that I know this is touchy. Uh, for you, for some people watching online, I know it's touchy because what we're talking about is something that is so twisted and goofy in our culture. We're going to talk about divorce. Um, and we're going to talk about what God says about divorce. Um, and I'm going to clue you in at the beginning. Um, I don't want to bury the lead. It's not awesome. God doesn't like divorce. Um, God says no to divorce. In fact, we'll see in Malachi 2, God uses this phrase, I hate divorce. Right? And there's no way around that. Um, I'm going to tell you up front, too, that, that God does give a couple of biblical allowances for divorce. Um, but none of them are on this list. I fell out of love with my spouse. We just don't have anything in common anymore. My husband just doesn't love me the way he used to. My wife doesn't show me affection like she did early in our marriage. This just can't be God's will for my life. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. God doesn't want me to be in a loveless marriage. We are incompatible. They lied to me before we got married, and so it isn't really um, a God-honoring marriage. It, it wasn't really ever genuine in God's eyes. The person would be happier without me. I'd be happier without them. So these are things that I've heard. These are things I've been told um, in conversations either here as, as a pastor of this church or um, as a counselor doing, doing private counseling with couples. These are, these are things that I'm told in, in regards to how we, we view divorce. And, and here's what I want to tell you, that while all of those make great secular reasoning, and all of those are acceptable on TV sitcoms and romantic movies, none of them are the Word of God. The Word of God is clear. Here's what he says. I hate divorce. And although he hates it, there are a couple of exceptions that we'll talk about where he says it's acceptable in this context, but, but for the majority of the divorces that happen in our world, in our culture, they aren't about the biblical exceptions to divorce. They're about the incompatibility that we feel in marriage and the tension that we feel in marriage. This is why Jesus and, and, and Paul um, very specifically in 1 Corinthians says, look, do not marry lightly. Don't do it. In fact, Paul says at some point, it might be better for you to be like I am. Paul is single here, uh, most likely a widow that never remarried. He says it would be most beneficial for you to be like me in this instance. 
right, to be single. Because if you're single, then you don't have to deal with the family relationship. You can just devote yourself fully to God, right? Paul says, look, if you want to be single, be single, right? That might be better for you to be single in this way. But if you choose to marry, right, understand what you're doing. And that's why we've called this series that we're wrapping up today. I know we're wrapping up our marriage series talking about divorce. I get it. Uh, But I promise you it matters because here's the thing. There are people in this congregation, here now, here second service, watching um, um, through our live stream, whatever it is, there are people that you don't know that are contemplating divorce. I can feel, I, I can say that with confidence because of the conversations that I've had with people over the course of years, that there are people that you don't know that are contemplating divorce. This matters. We have to wrap up here because this is something that is so critically important. That's why we called the series For Better or Worse. When I got married, right, as about the most immature Christian you could be, like, I mean, immature. Like, I was really immature. Like, I was a Christian, um, but in, in time frame-wise, I had been a Christian for a good decade. In, like, growth-wise, I was like six months old, right? I was about as immature as it could be. Um, but even then, you know, there's something, the gravity of the words, do you, Matt, take Carrie to be your wife, richer and poor, sickness and health, good times and bad, for better or worse, until death do you part. I mean, those words carry weight, right? And and, and in case the issue isn't summed up in for richer or poor. Now, we've never been richer, but I'm waiting, baby. Right? We've had sickness, not real sickness, but we've had sickness and we've had health. Some of you have had to navigate sickness in a marriage, and that's terrible. Some of you with your kids, like, oh, I can't even imagine. Richer, poor, sickness and health, good times and bad. Listen, in case it's not summed up in any of those, then there's the bookends for better or for worse. And when we get married, it's going to be better. We know it's going to be better. We know it's going to be awesome. But if you're honest, there are times in a marriage where it is worse. But the promise is that we are making a covenant commitment with one another for better or, unfortunately, sometimes for worse. And that's contrary to what our world teaches. And we're going we're gonna to see that as we open up Scripture, that that's not even a new thing. Right? That's not even a new thing. But here's what I want to start with today as we, as we go. I, I, before we get too much further, I want to tell you that, that one of the reasons I have such trepidation about days like today is simply because sometimes I, I fear that people will not hear what I'm saying, but they'll hear what I'm not saying. 
right? That they'll give me meaning and interpretation. That happens all the time. It's why I love David's, um, David's thought about, hey, as we, as we continue to have these race conversations, let's get together for a coffee and conversation so you can ask direct questions, hear direct answers about where pastors and elders stand on some of these issues in our day, and you can share your views, but let's have the conversation because I don't, I'm, I'm tired of, of being heard for what I'm not saying, what, what people think I might be meaning under the surface. No, 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 let's just, let's have dialogue, Let's have conversation, right? And this is the thing with divorce. When we start talking about divorce or any hot-button thing in the church, people automatically sometimes start to hear what they hear, what they want to hear, what they think I mean, and not just the reality. And so I come with trepidation, but here's what I want you to know. If you feel convicted today about a divorce or about thoughts of divorce— Or about encouragement for divorce that you've given someone else. Because that happens more often than it should. Listen, that conviction that you feel, that is not from me. That is the Holy Spirit of God telling you, Hey, I've been clear. My word is clear. And I want to have every bit. David, Pastor David prayed this as as we were singing. He said, I want to have every bit of your life. Empty everything else out and and be about me. And if there's conviction, then that's from the Holy Spirit. And it's not there to make you feel bad. It's there to help you grow. It's there to help you live a life that's holy and obedient. If you feel condemnation, that ain't for me either. If you're feeling condemned about a mistake that you've made, about a life choice or about thoughts that you're having, if you're feeling condemned and ashamed and afraid and you feel like you failed and you feel like there's no way out, that's not for me either. I've never and will never push condemnation on any one of you. What you're feeling there is the enemy trying to unravel you. So my encouragement to you is, is to hear conviction from the Holy Spirit and to shut out condemnation. Condemnation is always about how you've ruined it. Condemnation is always about how you've ruined it, and it won't be better because you jacked it up, and that's all there is to it. Conviction from the Holy Spirit will tell you that it's time to confess, seek forgiveness, and move forward. There is a significant difference. Don't allow Satan to to communicate something to your heart that isn't being said. Trust the Holy Spirit in this process. All right. We're going to just jump right into Scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, uh, and we're going to walk through this together. In Matthew 19, um, in Matthew 19, we have this, this uh, scenario where some Pharisees, and remember, Pharisees were um, the main adversaries of Jesus, right? Pharisees were the teachers of religious laws. They were like the religious lawyers. They were like those people that you don't want to talk to, right? Because they knew everything and they didn't mind telling you how you were wrong about everything. They were supposed to be the ones to offer you encouragement and how to live a holy life. Instead, uh, very often they were the ones that were pushing down on people and making them feel ashamed. But the Pharisees were the religious leaders in the Jewish community, And the Pharisees came and and they tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Some of you might be wondering, that seems like a fair question. How in the world is that trying to trap Jesus? They just want to know, 
should a guy be able to divorce his wife for just any reason? The, the reason that, that that question is, is kind of a trap is because really what they're asking is, in, in what circumstances is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? Almost you can think about it this way. What is the lowest common denominator, right? What is, what is the, the, the smallest offense to where it's finally okay for a man to say, fine, I'm done with you, wife. Or for a wife to say, fine, I'm done with you, man. Like, what's the smallest level? And here's the problem, though. Jesus isn't having it. There's also this other debate that, that's happening in, in the world. Uh, about two decades before Jesus is on the scene as a teacher, um, there is a school of rabbis called the Hillites, and they came up with a new way to interpret the teaching of Moses. And the new way that they came up to, to interpret the teaching of Moses was that a man could divorce his wife for any cause, not just sexual infidelity. And that's what previously had been thought. The, the Shamites, that's what they always taught, was that divorce was only for sexual immorality. But the Hillelites came along about a couple of decades before Jesus, and they decided that that was too strict, right? That, that really Moses was ambiguous in Scripture, and that the ambiguity for Moses was meant to allow wiggle room for men to actually divorce their wives, to present them with a certificate of divorce for really any cause. She burnt my dinner. She doesn't love me like she used to love me. She doesn't look like she used to look. She doesn't turn me on the way she used to turn me on. She doesn't like my mom. And so at some point, like, at some point, we're just making stuff up. But, but what, what the, Himalite, the, the Hillelites were saying is you could seek a divorce for any reason. And so, um, by the way, we do that too, right? We call it no-fault divorce. No-fault divorce is just what we know is the standard of divorce. There doesn't need to be a reason. You can just file for divorce and say, hey, get this. We, we just weren't getting along, right? It's not always been the case, but it's been the case for a long time. And we do the same thing with other things too, right? Where, where we decide that we wish the Word of God said something else. And so we decide, oh, well, we can, it was ambiguous. We can kind of weave it through here, and we can twist it around, and we can make certain things okay. Our entire Houses of worship. Entire houses of worship that have done that with this book. That have said, we don't really like what it says. So, we're going to decide to interpret it in a new enlightened way. In a different way. In a way that makes it more palatable. You'll notice that when people decide to reinterpret scripture, right? Like, like the Hillelites or like people that do it today. As we reinterpret scripture, as we figure out new ways to figure out what God was trying to tell us, they're never making it more restrictive. They're always making it more open and easier for them to do what they want to do in the first place, right? It's like they've decided what they know is true. So then they go to this book and they're like, okay, how can I argue from this that that should be okay? And so they start to reinterpret text. That's what the Hillelites were doing with divorce, so they started teaching that Moses was on purpose ambiguous so that future generations could add to the causes for divorce. And now by the time Jesus is on the scene, there's a whole sect of rabbis that are teaching you can be divorced for any reason. And so when they come to Jesus and, and they say, hey, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? They're pulling him into this cultural debate on divorce. 
And they're saying, hey, Jesus, you want to be a teacher? You want to be a rabbi? You claim to come from God? Then you need to be able to answer this question and answer it well. And so Jesus says this, haven't you read the scriptures? By the way, you've got to love this. Jesus, talking to the... (laughs) Talking to the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, is like, well, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you guys. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read the scriptures? Like, like I mean, he, they're like, hey, can a guy get divorced for any reason? Can, can, can somebody decide for any reason at all that they want to rip apart what God put together? Is that cool? Like, like, what's the thing that makes divorce okay? And he starts with this. Look, you teachers of religious law, Right? Haven't you even read the scriptures? And listen, I'm going to tell you, that's not like an actual question. He's not asking, well, hey, listen, is this your first day as a Pharisee? Have you actually read the scripture? You know, let's have this dialogue. He's mocking them, right? Haven't you even read this stuff? And here's, here's, I think, what he was thinking about. Malachi 2. Here's what Malachi 2 says. You can flip there if you want or just listen carefully, but this is really good to to dig into in, in the book of Malachi Chapter 2 starts in verse 13. This is where God is, is correcting the nation of Israel. He's correcting them, right? They're like, we keep doing all this stuff, God. We're sacrificing these bulls. We're doing all this stuff, and you're not blessing us. Why aren't you blessing us? What's wrong that you won't bless us? It's your fault, not ours. Here's what he says. He says, here's another thing you do. Here's another thing you do. Malachi 2.13. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and he doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you've been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Though she remained faithful, you were unfaithful. Though she remained faithful, you cast her aside. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and in spirit? You're his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. I hate divorce. And so, so we get this point where, where, where Jesus is actually saying, look, haven't you guys even read this stuff? Because if you've read this stuff, why are you asking this question, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? What's the easiest thing that can happen where a man could say, now I'm right and justified in filing for my divorce. And that's what we do today. Like, I have that literal conversation with people. Literally. Like, well, what would they have to do for me to say, okay, now I'm done? I'm like, well, I mean, I can give you a list, but that's the wrong attitude. And that's the other part. That's that's Jesus's problem with the other part of this right? It's not just that he's siding with the folks that say, oh, no, no, divorce is only for this, not for any cause. No, no, no. He's not siding with any of it. He's saying, haven't you read? God hates this. He says, listen, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. We talked about this week one. 
that God in the garden created Adam. And there was nobody that was suitable for Adam, no helper that was just right, no partner in life and ministry and work passion. There was nothing there. And so, so God caused him to fall into a sleep and he took the rib and he formed the woman and he presented her to the man. And he's like, this one, at last, we are bone of our bone, flesh of my flesh together. Right? And he says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Listen, and since they are no longer two, but one, this is the declarative statement of God. I did that. I created them male and female. I created their intimacy. I created their sex to be this beautiful thing that binds them together. And since I did that, let no one split apart what I've joined together. This is what God says. Like, oh, what are the reasons we can get divorced, Jesus? It's like, man, haven't you read? I hate divorce. And I did this. I created this covenant community. I put this marriage together. This was my doing. I created them male and female, and I caused it to be that when they were together, the two became one flesh. You can't pull that apart just because you feel like it. You can't pull that apart just because something went wrong. And so then they asked this question. Okay, fine, Jesus. Then why? If we can't pull apart what God put together, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, listen, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. So you see something that's true here is that in the Old Testament law, if a, if a man or a woman was, was caught in, in sexual immorality, in having an extramarital affair, they were to be stoned, right? Like, like if that happened and, and um, Billy was caught having an extramarital affair, having, having sex outside of his marriage bed, then um, as a consequence, he would be taken outside of the city and they would throw rocks at him until he was dead. Remember, that's what they want to do to the woman that's caught in adultery when Jesus kneels down and he draws a line in the sand. And he says, whoever's without sin cast the first stone. That's what, that's what they're wanting to do to this woman. That's what the law said. But Moses, through the power of God, through, through the Holy Spirit of God, made provision, right? That, that, that you could divorce instead of kill but it was a concession to your hard hearts. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, that he had done because he thought it was a great idea. It was in concession to the hardness of heart. It's not what God originally intended. Listen, get this. Something Jesus is trying to explain to them. Divorce is not a God-ordained thing. When they're asking, hey, basically this is their question. When God created divorce, did he mean it for this or did he mean it for this? And Jesus is saying, look, look, time out, time out, time out. You're asking the wrong question. God did not create divorce. That's not what God did. Here's what God did. God ordained covenant marriage. Divorce is a man-made construct. 
That's what divorce is. God didn't institute divorce. God created something unbreakable. It was unbreakable. So what God brings together, let nobody rip apart. Nobody. Nobody gets to do that. I've taken two and I've made them one and nobody should separate them. That's, that's God's intention. Divorce is a man-made construct. God says, I ordain the covenant commitment of marriage. And you know why this matters so much to God? We talked about this back in week one and week two. This matters so much to God because... Marriage is a picture of the way that Christ loves the church. God's relationship with us is also a covenant commitment. God loves you in a passionate, covenant kind of a way. And it is unbreakable. In Christ, it is unbreakable. God loves you in such a committed, covenant kind of a way. When you come to Christ, when you surrender your life to Christ, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you are made new, listen, nobody can pull that apart. And I would venture to say that you can't let go of it either. That is the intention of God, right? By sending his one and only son to die on the cross, that when you legitimately, not just say the words, But when you legitimately cry out from the depths of your soul that says, God, I am broken and lost and I am wasted and there is nothing I can do about it. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me. Make me new in your son. Give me your spirit. I think there's plenty of people that pay that lip service, but when it genuinely happens, you are in a covenant commitment relationship with God. And he will let nobody tear it apart. That's how he loves you. And that's what the picture of a marriage is supposed to be. So why would God allow for that? He says, I didn't make divorce. I made covenant. Divorce is man-made. Then why did Moses allow it? Well, what does it say? Moses allowed it for the hardness of your hearts. Some of you are like, yeah, okay. Well, I I know that God doesn't allow it. He doesn't like it. But I got a hard heart too. Listen, me too. Your heart's hard. My heart's hard. You struggle. I struggle. You got issues. I got them too. But the gospel is the cure for a hard heart, not divorce. You're like, but Moses permitted divorce because of, of, of mankind's hard heart. Yeah, you know what? Jesus has an answer for your hardness of your heart. That's the gospel. And if you're struggling in your marriage, or people you know are struggling in their marriage, or your kids are asking you for advice about their marriage or anything, listen, divorce isn't the answer. The gospel is the answer. And you're like, oh, well, they're already saved. They're already Christians. No, no, no. I don't, I'm not talking about that one moment. I'm talking about the gospel that changes everything. Throughout the course of your life, the gospel is at work changing you. If the gospel isn't changing you continually, then I'm not sure you understand the gospel. Because the gospel isn't a one and done thing. The gospel isn't a moment where you come to Jesus and I've got the gospel and now I can just go on my way. No, no, no. The gospel is this thing that changes you. The answer for the trouble that you're having, not only your marriage, business, 
personal life, your, your finances, the addiction that you can't get rid of, the answer for these things is you're trying to say, okay, why can't it get right? The answer is the gospel. The gospel is the cure for the hard heart. That, we're going to hear that time and time again as we get into this next series on church hurts. Because hurts happen in church. I've been hurt. I've been guilty of hurting others. That happens. You know what the cure is for that? The gospel. The softening of hearts, the changing of hearts through the power of the gospel. That's the cure for them. Moses permitted it. It was a concession to your hard hearts, but it's not what he intended. Right? It's not what God originally intended. The gospel is the cure for that. God didn't create divorce. Mankind did. And so the question of what does God say about divorce? Listen, he says don't. The question of what does God say about divorce is, is God says I hate it. What does God say about divorce? Well, he says it wasn't my idea. Man made divorce. I didn't make divorce. What does God say about divorce? Well, it was allowed because of hardness of heart, but there's a new cure for the hardness of heart, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not me trying to throw stones at anybody that's been divorced. Listen, I get it. We live in a broken world. And in a broken world, broken world things happen. We chase our own desires and we chase our own passions. And we make mistakes and we fall down. And there is grace and mercy at the foot of the cross when we confess and repent. I'm not suggesting that there's no grace for people that have had divorce. I'm not suggesting that there's no... Um, that, that, there's, that there's no fixing the relationship between you and God when somebody has had divorce. I'm not suggesting that the church needs to ostracize people that have had divorce, right? There is grace and mercy at the foot of the cross. But here's what I'm saying, that God's words are clear. I hate divorce. Wasn't my idea. I am the creator of covenant. And because I created covenant, that's a picture of how I love you it's a picture of how I'm going to hold on to you, then, right, that's what I want you to do. Now, here's what I would say about this, too, before anybody starts to, to raise your hand and say, but Matt, but Matt, I read, yes, I know, and we're going to get there. God does not create divorce. It is not what he wants, but there are instances where he will allow it, Right? This is why people, I, I was talking to a pastor not that long ago who said, well, I never, ever, ever, actually, I, he's told me this before, um, and he reiterated it again, I never preach on divorce. So why don't you, I mean, how do you, how do you say, well, I mean, it's in the Bible, like, how do you not ever preach on it? And his answer is, well, I don't preach on it because it's so individual. He said, I'd rather have individual conversations about it because it's so individual. And I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's part of me that's like, I get that. I agree with that. And then there's part of me that reads Malachi 2.16. says, I hate divorce. Right? And we, we read in Matthew 19 when, when God said, or when, when Jesus says, you know what? Listen, what I bring together, ain't nobody has the right to, to pull apart. And so while yes, it is individual, the reality is, it's also kind of black and white. And that stings. And I wish I didn't have to say that that was the case, but here, here's what it is. What, what we've got is, my job is to tell you what the Word of God says. The Holy Spirit will convict you in that truth and lead you to living in light of that truth. I'm not asking you to live backwards. 
Like, if you've made mistakes, I've made mistakes. Oh, my goodness, man. Like, if you want to compare mistakes sometime, here's the, th- here's the deal. I'll bet you I win. I'll bet you I win. That is a really sad game to play. Nobody leaves that game happy. But I'll bet you I win. But the grace of God is big enough to cover our mistakes. But I have to tell you what the Word of God says. We have to respond to it. There are a couple of times where God says, even though I did not create divorce and even though I hate it, it is acceptable. Right? It's never his provision. It's never his idea. It's never what he wants. But there are a couple of cases where it's acceptable. Here's what he says. Matthew 19, 9, continuing the conversation. He says, I'll tell you this. Right after he says, hey, hey, haven't you read the Bible? Divorce isn't God's idea. God did this to be something awesome. It's a picture of the way he loves you right? And it's his covenant commitment. Divorce was something that that man created out of hardness of heart. God allowed it. But here's the deal. I tell you this, Jesus says, whether whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless the wife has been unfaithful. And this obviously um, is good in reverse as well, right? Whoever divorces um, her husband, right, and marry someone else commits adultery unless the husband has been unfaithful. We can look at that in both ways. This is what he says. Unless, unless somebody has committed adultery, unless the wife has been, or I'm sorry, unless somebody has committed unfaithfulness, sexual immorality, then, I mean, if you get divorced and remarried, you are guilty of, of committing adultery. That word for unfaithful there, it's pornea. Uh, it's the word we use when, when we say pornography. That word simply means, uh, it's a junk drawer term, right? You know, you got your drunk, junk drawer in the kitchen that's full of just stuff. That's what that word is. It's full of stuff. It can mean any number of things. Why we feel so confident in this instance that it actually means sexual unfaithfulness, like actually committing the act of adultery, is because Jesus is actually saying marriage is not, I'm sorry, divorce is not an open concept. It's very restricted, Right? So he's not saying, well, if you've ever had lust in your heart, that's unfaithful and your spouse is free to seek a divorce. No, no, no. Jesus is, is not trying to make it right. Right? And Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, look, everybody that looks at a woman with lust in his eye, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. Right? And so Jesus isn't saying everybody who's looked at a woman with lust in his eye has already committed adultery with his heart. Go ahead and divorce him. Jesus is not making it more palatable to get divorced. He's saying, no, no, there's a very strict thing. So we we feel really confident that this is talking about sexual unfaithfulness. Inside a marriage, he says, look, that is a grounds for divorce. It's a grounds for divorce. When you are married and someone steps out sexually of the marriage, that is a grounds for divorce, right? And, And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about what God intends for sex in marriage because sex is sticky, right? If you, if you weren't here for that, there was the whole duct tape thing. Don't worry about it. But it's the idea that, that it's designed to bind us together, right? And so if we're unbinding it here and binding it somewhere else and then trying to bring it, it doesn't work. Not well. And so God says there's grounds for divorce in that context. Here's the other. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, Paul talks about this. He's giving instructions and he says, okay, so here's an instruction about divorce. If you, and this is the context of two unbelievers are married. They get married as unbelievers. While married, one of them 
response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, thanks be to God, they respond to the gospel, they become born again, they are saved. In this context, Paul says, stay married. You're a believer, they're not. Now, I want to say this. The reason that's even a question is because Paul has already taught the church. Jesus has already taught the church. You don't marry a non-believer. As a believer, you don't marry a non-believer. You are not a Christian man marrying a not-Christian woman thinking, it'll be okay, I'll convert her. Knock it off. She'll convert you. Stop it. You are not a Christian woman on the market thinking, well, that guy has godly qualities even though he's not a Christian. He'll do. No, stop it. Stop it. Right? God says no to that so clearly, so unequivocally, he says no. That's why this conversation that Paul's having is even happening. Right? Because it's understood that you should not be unequally yoked in marriage. Listen, don't even date that way. I mean, like, I'm not talking like 12-year-old dating. I'm talking about grown adult dating. Don't date somebody who's a non-Christian if you're a Christian. Don't do it. I mean, what do you expect to happen? Right? Like, oh, we're just—no, no, stop it. Just don't do it. Like, as an adult, you're dating people that you see a future with. Right? You don't have a future with somebody who doesn't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what God has clearly said. Anyway, that's a different sermon, different day, different topic. Actually, I think maybe I said all I need to say on that. Don't do it. Okay, moving on. Here's the deal. Because we already know that we should not be unequally yoked in marriage, Paul's addressing this. What happens if two non-Christians are married, one of them gets Jesus, is now saved, and is a Christian, and the other one is not? Paul says, great, stay married. Right? People were asking a legitimate question. We know we shouldn't be unequally yoked. Now we are unequally yoked. So should one of us that's—I'm a Christian, she's not—should I leave the marriage— Because I don't want to be unequally yoked. And Paul says, no, 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 you're you're confused. Stay married. But, this is the caveat. If a husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let him go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Right? So in this instance, if I am married to an unbeliever, I'm an unbeliever, and I come to faith in Jesus, and the not believing says, I can't believe I married a Christian. I won't stand for it. If you're going to be a Christian, I'm leaving. Then my answer is, okay, my faith is not going to be compromised. If you must go, then so be it. But that's not my desire. Right? Because what did Peter tell us when we read it a couple weeks ago in First Peter? That, that actually, by me being in a relationship, right? Like, if I've come to Jesus, I might, through my actions and behavior, actually influence her to Jesus as well. So I'm not going to run away, but if they choose to leave, Paul says, so be it. Right? I mean, that, that's what he says. If, if a husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, right? Not if they're sitting around one day going, well, maybe I'll just leave. It's not like I'm like, okay, bye. Right? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to stay faithful in this. But if they say, no, I, if you're going to be a Christian, I'm out. Then Paul says, let them go. Nothing is worth compromising your faith over. But that's it, guys. In all of Scripture, in all of Scripture, those are the two reasons that God gives us to accept a divorce. One is your spouse has been unfaithful. And the other is you've been abandoned. 
Now, I would say this. This, when a, when a non-Christian abandons their Christian spouse, I would say that abandon there isn't always just a physical thing. It's not just them physically packing up and leaving. Um, and there are good, smart Christians who would disagree with me on this, pastors who would disagree. And this is where my pastor friend said, look, it's individual. And, and in this context, it is individual. But I think abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse towards children, emotional abuse, those are things um, that would warrant abandonment in a marriage. I think if I can't be safe and keep my children safe in a home with my spouse, um, then, then there are contexts there for understanding that, that I've been abandoned in the marriage relationship. Okay? What I would say about that is that's not a decision to make on your own, and that's not something to fly through solo. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation about that. And what I would also say about those two things is divorce in both of those instances, in, in times of unfaithfulness and times of abandonment, divorce is not your first option. It shouldn't be your first option. Um, one of the things that we know is true is, is get this, um, that there is power in forgiveness. This is, what do you do? What do you do in these situations? Well, one is I think you forgive Sexual unfaithfulness is grounds for biblical divorce, but guess what? It is also grounds for biblical forgiveness. It is grounds for forgiveness. And that's what we're called to do. Now, there's a point in time where the forgiveness is rebuffed, and we've had this conversation two or three times, and the behavior just won't stop. The decision is being made for me. There are times when I've said, even if you are the one to file for divorce, because somebody refuses to be faithful in the marriage and they refuse over a period of time and they refuse to be faithful and you're the one that seeks the divorce. You may be the one filing for divorce, but you aren't the one that chose it. And that's acceptable. Right? But if you can forgive and heal the relationship, then what glory to God from that? There is something about biblical separation if there is abuse or there is um, anger or there is um, emotional things and turmoil in a relationship, there might be time to step out of the marriage home without seeking divorce in a very clear plan of restoration that puts the onus, right, on the person that needs to seek the path of, of, of healing. Maybe they will, in which case the marriage can be restored, in which case the marriage can be healed and it can paint a great picture of God. Maybe, the, maybe they won't. In which case, then again, they've abandoned the marriage relationship if they refuse to do the things that it takes to stop being abusive. Right? But divorce doesn't have to be your first option. I would encourage, and many times, and again, don't walk through this alone. Walk through this with somebody, but I would encourage biblical separation. First thing you do is you forgive. If, if there's something to forgive, forgive it. Forgiveness, by the way, isn't simple. It's a decision that you make, not a feeling you have. You make a decision to forgive, and tomorrow you feel like you didn't. That's okay. 
Just remind yourself, I made a decision to forgive. I'm not mad about that anymore. Um, God helped me to not be mad at that anymore. And, and you have that same dialogue with God asking through the power of the Holy Spirit for him to change your feeling to match your reality. The reality is I forgave. By the way, same thing if you wake up one morning and you feel like you're not in love again. Like I woke up and I feel like I, I'm not in love with my spouse anymore. It's not biblical grounds for divorce. Love is a decision. It's a covenant commitment. So you know what I do? I remind myself, no, 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 I do love my spouse. I made a commitment to love my spouse, and I pray to God and ask the Holy Spirit to help me fall in love emotionally with my spouse again. You don't walk away because you don't feel it. Anyway, you forgive. Step two, if you're considering divorce, you stop, pray, and find accountability. And when I say accountability, I do not mean somebody that will tell you what you want to hear. You... <laughs> You know the difference between accountability and a buddy in this instance. A buddy will tell you what you want to hear because they know it's what you want to hear. A buddy will be convinced. Even if they tell you something different, you're like, yeah, but I don't want to because of this. They're like, okay, cool. Right? There's a difference between a girlfriend or a buddy and somebody who is going to give you accountability. Somebody that will give you accountability will tell you what you need to know even if you don't like it. And they won't back down even if you're angry with them find real accountability. Michael Easley used to call accountability this for, for men. He would say, men, accountability, an accountability partner, somebody you can trust in accountability is somebody you can trust with your wallet and your wife. If you can trust them with your wallet and your wife, okay, let them speak into you um, for accountability. And three, if you are divorced, then I want to encourage you to experience the grace that God has for you. Experience the forgiveness that God has for you because he has rich, deep grace and forgiveness. And I also want to encourage you with this. Proceed with caution. If you are divorced and you are remarried, whether it was good or right that you got remarried, accept the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and seek to honor God through the marriage that you're in now. That, that is the biblical call for you. You don't end a marriage because you shouldn't have gotten into it. No, 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 no. You are in this marriage. Um, so accept the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and, and seek to honor God fully in the marriage that you have. If you are divorced and you are not yet remarried, proceed with caution. One is we can run into trouble when we just do whatever feels right. Um, two is this. There are instances in Scripture where God does not give permission for divorced people to be remarried. Okay? That doesn't mean that you jack up a marriage that you're in because God didn't want you to be married in the first place. No, 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 no. Right? Thank the grace of God and seek to honor him where you're at. But it does mean if you are divorced and not married, that it is not necessarily right that you should remarry. Let's have a conversation about that. Let's study the word of God together and see what he says. It's my encouragement to you. Again, my role, show you what God's word says, encourage you, allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, um, and, and let's all seek to live in full surrender, holier lives to God. I know it's not a pleasant topic, but it's necessary. Would you pray with me? And in doing so, I want to pray for anybody, whether you're in this room or listening online later on or whatever it is, for anybody that's struggling with these things. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you for your word. 
And God, like the Hillelites that, that have, have changed your word to make it more palatable to do what they want, we confess that there are times in our world where we have changed your word to make it more palatable for us to do what we want. And divorce is one of those areas. Father, we confess that there are Christian men and women who are breaking apart what you've put together in divorce because, because they have no hope, because they're confused about your word, because they've, they've fallen into the temptation of the enemy. But God, your word is so clear, and we thank you for it, and we just ask you to help us live in it. Father, I pray for people that have had a divorce. Whether it was on biblical grounds or not, I pray that they would experience the fullness of your grace in their hearts. That you would communicate to their soul that you are with them, and you are for them, and that you love them, and that you will never leave them or forsake them. Father, I pray for those that are contemplating divorce, that they, would, that, that they would see the truth of your word and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they would repent of that and they would move to, to reconcile with their spouse. Father, I pray for those of us that are in a position to give good biblical accountability and advice, that we would do so with hearts of compassion but also steeled resolve that the word of God is accurate and true. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we just thank you for who you are and all you do. Amen.